0: Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to call this ep- episode Uncomfortably Victorious. Bayern has continued their form of late to close out the season. Uh, it's an enviable position, really, when you think about it. 11 points atop the table into the round of 16 of the Pokal, a relatively easy uh, Champions League matchup against Besiktas. But rather than storming into those positions, Bayern have r- rather... <sighs> I want to say LinkedIn, but it's not exactly that, kind of bored themselves to death in. Is this a master plan from Ebenkis or? Well, um, to get this figured out today, I have um, two very, very highly esteemed writers from ESPN FC. I have Stefan Busco, uh, also from yellow Wallpod, and, uh, Mark Lovell, uh, both the Bay and the Bayern contributors for, uh, that website. Uh, Stefan, how are you today?
1: I'm very fine. Thank you.
0: Awesome. And Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well, Susie. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. Uh, Thanks, guys, for being in Germany and doing this. Uh, A little program note, we were supposed to do this for the regular Bundesliga match, um, but there was a medical emergency, of course, for my mom. And uh, so I'm really, really happy for you both to be back here and to submit to my torture for the next 45 minutes or so. <laughs> very, very much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Awesome. Um, before before we get into Stuttgart and and the Bay uh, Pokal match uh, there's a couple of notes uh, for Bayern uh, first of all uh, much anticipated and not really a huge surprise to anybody uh, Sandra Wagner joins from Hoffenheim um, Mark, uh, what do you make of this initially? Good deal for Bayern? Oh, it
2: makes sense I'm not a I'm not a great Sandro Wagner fan, Uh, I must admit. I think there's probably better strikers at Hoffenheim that they could sign. Mark Hoot, for example. Um, Yeah, he's made an interesting call already. He's picked up the number two shirt. I hope he has better luck than Breno, who also had that shirt number (laughs) at Bayern. Oh, man, I totally forgot about that. (laughs) That's another story. Yeah, yeah, he's going to he's going to be a backup, we all know that he's um, going to struggle to get in the Germany side or the Germany squad if he hardly plays for Bayern he will probably play um, for example against Wolfsburg you know at the the weekend before the Champions League game against the Siktas. that is a you know a, a game that Lewandowski will be rested for and um, He is useful in the air, so he can maybe feed on Joshua Kimmich's crosses, who's one of the best uh, crossers of the ball in the world. So they can use him there if they're pushing for an away goal, for example, in the Champions League. But, um, yeah, I I suppose it makes sense. Bayern had their fingers burnt when they had nowhere to go to when Lewandowski got injured and he wasn't 100% fit against Real Madrid. So they were always going to um, look to strengthen in this area. And for this kind of money, it's, it's a 15 million euro insurance policy.
0: Right. Um, so, uh, in previous, previous podcasts, we've already done like a rundown, uh, an early rundown of the almost 60 candidates that, uh, could go to Russia this summer. Um, and Wagner uh, was definitely amongst them, you know, right behind Timo Vanna as striker. Um, and we came, I don't know, we've argued about it a lot on this podcast, uh, but we came to the decision that it, it's not necessarily a, a step down for Wagner because it is a really still high profile job, even if it's 15, 20 minutes here or there, cup match or Lower Bundesliga sides. Yogi um, Love is always going to be paying attention to Bayern. Um, also, saying that there's there's a good chunk of the starting eleven that's going to Russia that plays for Bayern Munich as well. Stefan, do you think that this helps or hurts his chances to uh, make the trip to Russia this summer?
1: Well, considering the alternatives for Joachim Löw next to Sandro Wagner and Timo Werner, I think it, it won't really affect his chances at all because Sandro Wagner is a sort of striker that is very good with respect to goal who, as uh, Mark already said, feeds on crosses. And, um, you know, as for playing time, I still remember that... You know, your is sometimes played two strikers when Mandzukic was still around, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't really often, but, uh, you know, it's, it could happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: so, um, yeah, I, I, I think this could be a very good alternative, um, you know, to mix up things if Bayern play with two strikers. And um, especially... In this season, Bayern Munich have reverted to a million crosses whenever things did not work out. We saw that, I think, against Cologne. We saw that against PSG in the first leg at least and um, in in other games as well. So, um, yeah, Sandro Wagner is perfect for that type of play and uh, we've seen it in the national team that he is very good at linking up to Joshua Kimmich's crosses. So I think he's, he's... a very sensible addition to Bayern's squad and uh, makes them all the more better and well-rounded although Robert Lewandowski is, is a machine but you never know there can always be this one bad tackle where he then I don't know rolls his ankle or so and is out for a couple of weeks and then it's always good to have Wagner as your backup he is also a striker I think who, who can get who can, who can come off the bench and uh, just perform doesn't need much time to warm up <laughs>
0: Yeah, th- uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunity um th- like you like both of you said uh, uh accepting crosses from a wing-based Bayern uh that's been present I guess for a few years. Um <laughs> does he does <laughs> this is a little bit of a joke. Does he look like Sandra Wagner? Does he look like like a French movie villain from the 50s or 60s? <laughs> what I leave this one to mark <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about French uh, movie
2: stars from the 60s I'm, I'm, I wasn't born then
0: I don't know I just feel like like the uh, like the press conference today like he was tailored to death and with this like thin goatee I just feel like he should have been smoking a cigarette you know <laughs> I I don't, I don't know it, it, it struck me it struck me as funny. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just me. Um, so, all right, let's. Uh, we're done with Wagner. Uh, the other little bit of business is Kingsley Coman re upped his contract until 2023. Am I right, Mark?
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: 2023,
2: extended by another three years. Um, yeah, the, another deal that makes sense for Bayern. Ribery, it's not going to go on much longer. Robin, maybe another year.
0: Do you do uh, uh, do you guys think that they would extend Robin and not Ribery, or <laughs> the, uh, Robin, Robin as he ages, is obviously um, the more effective player, although Ribery played very well against Bevao Bing. Um, uh, but that was sort of an outlier, uh, I think, as far as terms of his performances uh, this season. Um, do you, uh, Stefan, do you see... Uh, one going without the other or do you have to retire those two legends at the same time from Bayern?
1: I don't know I I think Robben can play a little longer than Ribéry the question is do Bayern actually plan with those two because you know it's going to be a big overhaul one way or another and so it's also I think gonna free up some uh, cash on on the payroll for Bayern so um I don't know how they want to transition, whether they want to cut both at the same time. You know, both are somewhat injury-prone nowadays. I mean, always have been. (laughs) Right. But, um, yeah, I I still think that Ejen Robben, when he's fit, I don't know. I I just see, I I think he can play for another year if he wants to. Because he still has this explosiveness about him. And, uh, yeah, Ribery to some extent, too. But Bayern have to ask themselves you know, do we really want to pay the amount of wages those two are earning uh, with the risk of them being injured for maybe half a season or longer?
0: Right. Right. Um, uh, Mark, as far as like uh, the legends go, uh, what's your, what's your take on, on, on the pair?
2: Well, uh, Ripperies is not having a good season. You look at the stats, you know, it may have had a decent first half, against uh, Dortmund last night but I mean he's, he's provided no assists nor, no goals in 11 league and Champions League games this season So that says it all really Robin is doing what he does He's he's scoring he's putting in 100% assists in almost every game he's He's obviously injured, but he'll be back strong in the in the spring. There's another couple of years in Robin Ribery is one injury away from the end of his career.
0: Done so, right,
2: yeah. Um, I tend to... Yeah, I, that's unfortunate fact for for Ribery, but it does have the uh, added advantage of being very close with the president Hunas. So you know he, he will be looked after.
0: Right, right. So so this is that's kind of my point is, is uh, I think we all, we all agree. And most of uh, the footy playing, watching world or commentating would agree that Robin still does have time left in him. Um, and, and you'll find a lot in Byron fandom that, that uh, people, when they talk about river, they're not talking about him this year. They're talking about him, you know, four or five years ago. Um, uh
2: Absolutely that was twenty thirteen when Heikis was uh, winning the treble. That was when Ribery was also at his heights. Right. Know? And UEFA uh, player of the year.
0: Right, and and is that the year did he come in third for for the Ballon snore that
2: year? <laughs> yeah the Ballon bollocks, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Um. Uh, so so in Kingsley Coman, uh, there's already a a good and true uh, transition from from Ribery. Would you guys agree?
2: Absolutely. You Can also play on the on the right. I mean, Ribery is very strong on the left. With in combination with David Alaba. Uh, Coleman, you can also play him on on the right. He he can also play through the middle. He's got speed to kill. So you know he he will learn a hell of a lot this season under Hinkis, who was a who was a top striker himself. He knows what it's all about. So he's a flexible player for me. He doesn't need to be you know stuck to the left-hand touchline.
0: Right, right. Um. Th- <laughs> there's probably no chance of bringing Serge Knobbery back next season. I'm sure there's a little bit of, uh, why not? He says he's coming back, Susie. So, Oh, does it? Oh, does it? I, I hadn't seen that. I thought it was a two year loan deal. No, he's coming back at the end of the season
2: as, as it, as it stands. Um, I think Rummenigge uh, told the press last week that he, the the plan is that he cut returns at the end of the season for him to get in- integrated again. Oh, well, that's fantastic.
1: So I oh. guess that more or less already announces that Ribery is probably ending his career, at right. Bayern at least.
0: Right, unless they want to keep him on as like a Lucas Podolski... Uh, cheerleader type, but...
1: Yeah, but again, the the payroll, I don't... He, he is one of the top earners, so you just... You, you, you can't do that on a national team, but I don't know if you can do that uh, as a, you know, financially savvy club.
0: Right, right. Byron isn't really good at letting their heroes go, like... Oh, yeah. Or people that want to walk away from the club go. They they tend to do. Really, the only good deal that's been done in the last several seasons was uh, the Douglas Costa move. I mean, getting forty million for Costa was kind of a. I think a surprise to a lot of people or as, or as far as I'm aware, um, generally when people want to go, they're like, Oh, where do you want to go? Oh, they want to give you, they want to give us 12 million and you're worth 30. All right, that's fine. Go, you know, be on your way. Um,
2: yeah. uh, uh, so that's the market, though, Susie. Forty million for Douglas Costa. You had Manchester City paying fifty million for Kyle Walker, who's a defender. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, yeah, Bayern maybe didn't get enough money for Tony Cruz, I mean, 30 million max there. That that turns out to be one of the worst deals of the century, in my opinion.
0: Right, and and Mandzukic didn't go for a lot.
1: Correct. You know, yeah, there's... but Bayern are not necessarily a selling club. I mean, maybe they're turning into one again if other clubs around them are getting more inflated like the Manchester Cities or PSG's, Real Madrid or Barcelona's. But, um, you know, they are not necessarily... They don't need those extra 10 or 15 million for, for play. player. I don't think that makes too much... Of a difference for them in the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of my point. Like, they're really loyal. If you don't want to be a part of the club, well, all right, later. We'll just, where do you want to go? And we'll sell you for whatever we can get for you at the club you want to go to. Um,
1: yeah, but you, you have a point that they, you know, if, if they like someone, it's really tough for them to let go. I mean, just look at Uli Hün is trying to convince Jopankis to stay another season. I mean, he was at the uh, fan club meeting of, of Schiesheim or something yep. was called the other day and made them all raise their hands, you know, asked who of you wants Jopankis to stay on. And so, you know... In my view, that's a little bit disrespectful to Jurpienkes because you know he clearly said that it's uh, just until the summer and uh, it's his decision, and I think you should respect that. Like no means no, no means no, and uh, you know as as much as Uli Hoeneß is trying and and uh, maybe is is convinced of of Heinkes, um yeah, just let the old man be. Be I, thankful I, yeah. enough that he even stepped in and left his little farm in Mönchengladbach.
0: Of course. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather hang out with Kando than hang out with Uli <laughs> Yeah, Heinke is
2: admit, admitting all the time that he's finding it hard, you know, living in the hotel without his wife, family, and his dog, you know, and Honest seems to be really putting a little bit too much pressure on him to sort of change his, change his opinion.
0: I think, um, I think in the case of Honest, I think he's so happy that um that he was right about Ancelotti cuz Ancelotti was a a a Calais pick uh, <laughs>
1: mm.
0: that he's kind of milking it for everything it's worth at this point
1: yeah maybe one question to Mark because i feel like you know there's obviously there's this ongoing uh yeah, back and forth between Rummenigge and, and Hoene's. Uh, you know, who wants to bring in which coach? Do you think that Rummenigge right now is still saying that Tuchel is the man to bring in, in the summer and Hoene's is not convinced and hence tries to extend with Heinkes because he himself maybe doesn't have a better option right now Absolutely, at his disposal. Absolutely,
2: I think that's the case. Um, you know, this could be quite easily solved if you could. Um, move Hankers his wife, or convince his wife and, and his dog to up sticks
1: to Munich and. Uh, yeah, but how easy is that, though?
2: No, it's it's obviously as a seventy-two-year-old uh, retired old-age pensioner, it's not that simple. You um, made a, you made a good point there, and there are um, rumours, shall we say, that Huneß. Doesn't want Tuchel at the club, but Rummenigge does. And, you know, hence why Hunis really would like to see his, his close friend, Hankis, stay on. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe that's. If there were a lot of candidates apart from Tuckle, you know, Nagels, Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann's stock has fallen appreciably
1: this season yeah Yeah, you know what maybe Peter Stuger has time to take over Bayern (laughs) this summer
0: (laughs) and this is this is kind of an interesting point uh, Stefan so so all of a sudden what what seemed to be like maybe a a sort of predetermined thing uh, for Bayern uh, getting uh, Julian Nagelsmann um, next season right at least under Ancelotti, it seemed like that. That seemed like it's the way things were going.
1: Yeah, especially the way Nagelsmann communicated it. Exactly. Right?
0: But now, but now, um, with Bosch being fired and with uh, Peter Stoger going to Val Bay, and you know, and now all these rumors are circulating. So, so there's, there's. A few guys that are going to be up for the two biggest uh, German clubs. It's it, it's sort of like a, a coaching uh, a rondo, if you will. Um, it, what's your oh, thoughts? Yeah. Do you who 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 do you think Stefan that Bebo Bay gets next season?
1: Well, it's, it's really hard to say right now because Julian Nagelsmann, I think, is the prime candidate. And uh, you know, it says a lot that Dortmund were not ready to give Peter Stüger a contract past 2018 this summer. So he really just acts as an interim, depending on how Stüger does, of course, and knowing how the uh, bosses at Dortmund think. You know, it might very well be that he gets a contract extension if things really do go well. Um, and uh, Dietmar Hope just came out and said that uh, Julian Nagelsmann will definitely stay at Hoffenheim until 2019. Now, this is things people say, and I'm not 100% sure that uh, you know if if uh, if it really comes down to the wire, if Nagelsmann will really fulfill his contract at Hoffenheim and whether Hop can, uh, yeah. Make him stay for another year. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, maybe I will ping this back to Mark and uh, bringing another name considering how the World Cup goes, do you think maybe Mr. Joachim Löw would fancy to take over at Bayern? Because right now Joachim Löw is one of the uh, best German coaches out there and maybe he is available after this summer. Of course, it's a very long long shot, but uh, it's a name I think that's interesting for Bayern at least.
2: Absolutely. I was just going to say that, um, but we went off on the Dortmund tangent. Um, Löw has to be in the running after the World Cup. He this is this is perfect for him. Bayern seem to have, you know, they bought up a lot of uh, young German international talent recently. to Naberi, they'll be sniffing around for Timo Werner. Uh, they have almost a team of it, German internationals. This would be perfect for your move.
1: Um, and not only that, but. Joachim Löw of course is a very experienced coach who if you watch Germany closely and I think you all do you see that he is a very very savvy coach tactically the German national team has a tactical flexibility about itself that most national teams do not have and usually he has been always a copycat but in a very positive way taking the best from Dortmund or Bayern or whoever else is out there and implementing it in the German national team and I think that if he fancies club football, Bayern Munich and Joachim Löw would be a perfect match in my view.
0: Yeah, you know, this is funny. So so um, I've given uh, Joachim Löw um, a ton of stick over the years, right? Uh, yeah, who hasn't? But he gets yeah. involved. No, of course. And that was my point exactly, right? Like, hate, hate, not hate.
2: Why Just, did you criticize him, Susie, for picking his nose?
0: It- Oh, I don't, I don't care. He can, he can throw his hand down
1: his pants and no sniff for, it. For like for none of that. Ozil to men Mark Pierlo, or what was it?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or putting Crows in the position that he did against Italy in Euro 2012. Um, yeah, maybe that's
1: what I meant. Something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so there's always been um, a lot. A l- a lot of nitpicking by a lot of people that write about the german national team um about love um the, the results could they have been better in hindsight maybe not probably not you know but but we're all armchair quarterbacks when you're getting paid to deliver articles right so so there's there's been a certain amount of consternation over the years, I don't know, I started covering uh, DFB in 2008, right? So I'm almost 10 years in. Um, and it's really only been over the last... Uh, I wasn't even really like thrilled about... I mean, to win a World Cup with Hovedes as a wingback is the most hilarious to me you know what i mean like a lot of things didn't make a lot of sense to me um but seeing uh last summer in the confederations cup and and the way that um that the u21 and the senior team were willing to work together and and to parse these players out and to give guys a real shot at at germany going forward uh was kind of a revelation and i think that a lot have a lot of minds have now changed for the more positive um uh, when you're talking about love as a tactician he had to get smarter and he did um mark do you think that's a fair assessment or am i nuts
2: well, the thing about Germany, speaking as an Englishman who's watched England get battered by Germany, rather too often for my comfort, you know, they're not always a, they don't have always great players. You mentioned Benny, whoever it is, and Per Mertesacker, but they always have a a good team and a good spirit, you know, and that counts for a lot. England. I've had some remarkably brilliant players over the years: Lampard, Beckham, midfield, Gerrard. They should have gone deep in the World Cup, but they had a horrible team spirit. They, they didn't like each other's company. They almost hated each other. And you can't win tournaments or, you know, go deep in the latter stages of, of World Cups with that sort of attitude. And you know, Yorkim Love has formed. A really exciting German team who who get on with each other, I and mean, he can add now talents like Leroy Sané at, at Manchester City, at Timo Werner. And he doesn't have to rely on the likes of Götze and Schürrle to come off the bench. You know, it's, it's it's looking good for Germany going into the World Cup. I would say, and um, you know, I, I certainly won't be betting against them. Um, retaining
1: their title yeah well maybe maybe one last point is that uh, you you just mentioned mark that loo rather picks a good team than a good team sheet i think that was his this first priority in an all tournament so far and eventually it has worked out for him but especially since the world cup he has become almost zen-like in his approach you know he didn't feel the pressure at all to bring the best team to the Confederations Cup and also in, in friendlies, in, in uh, you know even European qualifiers. He often talks about, you know, experiments and trying things out, and that results are secondary, and that you know it's all about, yeah, basically finding his his way and uh, yeah, really really testing for what's best for Germany and uh, you know this is this is, I guess the next step in, in his evolution as a coach that he does not feel the pressure at all anymore going into a tournament. I mean yes clearly he, he does feel some pressure but not to the same extent and uh, I think that has really helped him. Now of course going to Bayern and having pressure that will be a whole different scenario then so I don't know how this translates but um, Overall, I, I think you know the development Joachim Löw took as a national team coach. By now, I really do think that he could very well coach Bayern. If you had asked me four or five years ago, I probably would have given a different answer.
2: One thing for sure, though, they will need Germany and Bayern will need Manuel Neuer back from injury. To uh, Germany to retain their World Cup title and Bayern to have any chance of going deep in the Champions League. Uh, Sven Ulreich has done okay after, you know, a horrible start, but uh, Manu Noya is the best goalkeeper in the world. You need him
1: between... Yeah, the but two. if you have testing in, in your second hands in your back pocket basically then uh, it's it's not too it's not too bad
2: he's decent Stefan but he doesn't give the same security same assurance That's to de- defense uh, he's very good obviously you don't play for Barcelona if you're a Muppet but
0: uh, <laughs> Neuer is the man who uh, guys who's here number three for, number three, for Germany yeah,
2: yeah Kevin, Kevin Trapp
0: <laughs> yeah
2: I yeah, like Trapp
1: enough. too. Yeah, it's either Trap or Therman for me. But it will, be Ber-
2: oh. it will be Bernd Leno because I'm not European. law it will be Bern Leno. But Jay it really Leno. shouldn't
1: be because Bern Leno and Testing do not get along whatsoever. So <laughs> bring in someone else like Weidenfeller But at the last World Cup, someone who's just happy to be there.
0: Right. I think Tra- uh, Trap would be ecstatic to be there. Do you guys? Do you guys agree?
2: Yeah, he'd yeah. be happy to be there. I mean, a month in Russia may not be that much fun, though. Uh, All <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't expect that we have any Russian listeners. So,
0: uh, <laughs> so. Maybe, maybe, maybe a couple. OK, l- let's get away from Germany and let's get down to a couple of matches. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the Stuttgart match. It was a one nil victory in Enemy territory. And by the way, that's like a seething atmosphere. I almost got my ass beat after a match there a few years ago. <laughs> but,
2: um, hey, Susie, what's, what's, as a Bayern fan, what's with all the, you know, every away game Bayern have their fireworks and they, you know, they've, they've been. Find twenty thousand. They, they set off a, a massive uh, pyro at the weekend in Stuttgart again. You know, what's I think. That all
0: about? I think they're just really taking the piss out of everything. You, you, you know, they, um, they they protest for. So I'm a member of, of Tibet Worldwide, which is like the the international arm of of. You know, uh, part of the Sudkova gang. Um, and they, they're they very, very passionate about a lot of things. And, and like everybody I know involved, uh, everybody's really pro-pyro and they're really, they don't care. They feel like Byron has the money to spend and uh, they're going to make it uh, fun or as fun as they can make it for anyone. Um, what they're doing as far like, protesting as far as, like, Champions League matches um, for ticket prices, um, I think it's good. A lot of people maybe internationally don't understand why they're doing what they're doing or they look petulant or uh, – or whatever, um, but it does prove a point when the when the biggest club in Germany is protesting and protesting outrageous like away ticket prices and stuff. But as far as the pyro at the away games, they don't care. Bayern has the money. Um, it that's just it.
2: Just intrigues me how they're able to smuggle that into away grounds, and uh, they don't do
0: that at the Allianz you know you know what I've never I've never I've never been even even when I could go to Germany and like sat at the Allianz or away games and Champions League like I would none of my friends necessarily were smuggling in fireworks. I think it's really intriguing and I'd love to know how anybody gets away with anything. (laughs) Cause I've had like hairspray taken away from me and perfume and, you know, like stupid random little things. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to talk about it, even if I learn the answer, but it's, it's definitely, it's intriguing uh Stefan what do you what do you make of the Bayern especially the Champions League protests this year
1: I think they're absolutely right to protest that if you ask me because um overall prices ticket prices are inflating and uh we we see it in the Bundesliga too like it's uh, internationally known as a league with fair ticket prices and if you compare it to uh, prices here in the US, for example I'm in Philadelphia right now um, no, of course it's still relatively cheap but um, only if you compare it with different tickets, if you compare it with uh, anything else it's relatively expensive and uh, football clubs generate a lot of money and uh, ticketing grows less and less significant. In, uh, their revenue streams and you know football in the end is for the people and this is I think it's, it's something that it's, it, it's just very important from a philosophical standpoint that people do not get exploited on ticket prices and clubs maybe search other options to create a turnover which Bayern and other teams most certainly do especially when they qualify for the Champions League So, yes, I would say any protest that aims to, you know, keep ticket prices somewhat fair is a good protest.
0: Yeah, for sure. Can't disagree with that. Uh, Okay, so we digress, but let's get back to Stuttgart. Uh, The lone goal was in the 79th minute from a a somewhat resurgent Thomas Muller. But it was a strange match on the whole. Uh, The goal from Müller came uh, from a free kick that probably shouldn't have been rewarded. And then uh, Stuttgart had a chance to equalize um, from a weird penalty call on Sule that might have not been called either. Um, Mark, do you disagree with that assessment or do you think...
2: No, I, yeah, I disagree. Sorry, uh, it was, you know, I was at that game. Obviously, I was in the press box, but uh, surrounded by Stuttgart, and there was, you know, how cold there, was it? <laughs> it was, it was colder than a witch's tits. <laughs> you know how cold that is. Um, well, I would Stuttgart, have to research that. But okay. <laughs> Grass monkeys, that's another one for right. you. Grass monkeys? <laughs> Go to the Urban Dictionary and uh, get, get some good guidance. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Stuttgart needing an equalizer, obviously going to be claiming everything, but it's, as soon as it went to VAR after Sula uh, kicked the Stuttgart player, it was always going to be a penalty. Yeah, He's, he's kicked him in the box, so it has to be a penalty. I don't see how you cannot not give a penalty.
0: But I don't know. It It, it Yeah.
2: doesn't matter now, anyway. Ulreich uh, saved it and <laughs> Bayern won one nil for the third consecutive game, as they did against uh, Cologne and who's the other one? Frankfurt. Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. And you know they got the job done. They're 11 points clear. Hinkis said last night they have an exorbitant lead, which they have, and it's now 11 points. When he took over, they were five points behind Dortmund. So you know what a what a transformation. Um, yeah, they didn't play well in Stuttgart, but yeah, they're a promoted side. Stuttgart played. Above their means, um, deserved the draw, but Bayern got it, got the job done. Move on; they moved on to Dortmund. Played a lot better first half, and uh, went through the motions second half. But we can talk about that later.
0: Yep, uh, uh, Stefan, uh, how do you feel about that Sule call?
1: Well, I think that's a very clear penalty. He almost uh, blew out the kneecap of who was it? Was it Genthner or some? Yeah, I, I don't even remember who was fouled. But yeah, I, I think to me that's a clear penalty, and so there is little to nothing to discuss about it. Um, you know, it, it was unfortunate. I don't think he meant it, but um, that, that doesn't matter. Um, it's a penalty, and as Mark said. Ulreich saved it and uh, you can move on from that. But uh, overall, I think it was really interesting to see how Stuttgart managed to stifle Bayern in, in this game and uh, how well Terodde uh, managed to hold up the, ba- the ball up front and then pass it on to either Akolo or Öschan and uh, how Stuttgart, yeah created something from from that space you know picking up the ball in those half spaces and then running forward akolo i thought did very well to hold on the ball and then run away from from the likes of formals or rafinha and uh, yeah create something i mean it, it wasn't it wasn't like you know end to end stuff where just a million chances fell for either team that wasn't the sort of game but still it was very good to see that should get were defensive, organised. Uh, you know, just just enough to keep Bayern shut for the most part. And uh, if it wasn't for Müller's uh, somewhat fortunate goal, I mean, it was well taken. But uh, as you already mentioned, uh, it wasn't a foul that led to that goal, uh, the free kick. So um, you know, if it wasn't for that, it might as well finish in a scoreless draw in the end. Because to me that's where it was headed, and uh, it's really significant that Bayern are falling flat, all, you know, all the time in the last 20 minutes or so. You already mentioned it in your intro, and I don't know if you want to talk it. About it now or in the double match, but uh, you know, when when Schuka were really pushing for that equalizer, they created a lot of chances in Bayern, uh, except for Ham is really making a mess of this one moment. Uh, yeah, Bayern didn't really have, have much of an answer to that. You
2: yeah. Have to remember though, that sorry, uh, Thiago and Robin are injured, you know, two of their most creative forces, so, you know, there is a mitigating circumstances there
1: yeah but it should get a new Bayern Munich and you still have enough creativity to create chances I mean
2: all the emphasis Stefan was on Dortmund and uh, trying to reserve some energy for that game which they which they did you know they came out of the blocks first half against Dortmund. They could have been leading 4 or 5 nil. No one would have said anything. It's-
1: yeah, but for who were they reserving energy in the second half against Dortmund then?
0: Right, yeah. Absolutely. So-
2: for that, I think they would. They underestimated Dortmund because they were so shocking first half that they thought they were a beaten side. That's and, a
1: very good point. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> it, was, it was horrible to see, really, how poor... And limp, Dortmund were first half, you know, and it's very easy to play better when you're losing two 0 and when the game's almost done, it's alibi football.
0: Yeah, but but this is not this is not just a one-time thing against Stuttgart, or uh, the second half, which we'll discuss shortly uh, against Bevalbe. <clears throat> Tankus has been willing to give up possession and let teams run at him, um, or run at Bayern. Uh, did it uh, versus Köln? Did it versus PSG for the second for the for the return tie? So this is not a one off. Um, is that's because
2: he's more confident, Susie, in my opinion, anyway, that he can keep a clean sheet with Ulreichs. Improved form in goal, and he's he's got a he's got a stable defence.
0: Yeah, i i to, I totally understand that, uh, but but it, it it kind of I don't know. It's it's almost un Byron like, um or or what, Bayern of Munich fans and foes course. have been You've suggested got to. to.
2: Guardiola, you know. Racking up the goals, playing people off the the pitch every week, expansive football, exciting football. Yeah, but
1: you mustn't forget that even Pep Guardiola's teams, you know, come April or or March, you know, they look tired as well. And, uh, you know, Bayern Munich, just like Dortmund, had so many English weeks now that, you know, they yeah. must be fatigued in some way. And as you just mentioned, they get a couple of injuries. So it's normal that rotation is maybe not up to the standard as it should be to have always fresh legs on the ground. And uh, you cannot push for 90 minutes. So you have to make the decision whether you either want to you know, give give it a rest at the start of the game, like Dortmund did against Bayern or Hoffenheim or Mainz even in the last three games, and then have energy at the end of the game. Or do you want to decide the match you know, in the first 65 to 70 minutes, and then uh, you know, be a little bit more passive. And I think, as Mark just said, and I wrote a whole article about that in the end, um, is that Bayern Munich are very, very. Solid defensively. There is just no player that really lets up his defensive duties. Um, even even the likes of uh, Coman, Rodriguez, or, or, or James, rather, you know, they all work back and they are all not afraid to to make a challenge when when they need to and to just irritate their opponent a little bit. And this uh, defensive rigor, you know, just is is within Bayern. It's within their DNA. And uh, you know, I wrote for ESPN how this. This is also mir-son mir in, in, in Bayern's uh, perspective, maybe, and makes him actually appear very humble because, you know, how often do you see those uh, very well-paid athletes then, you know, becoming complacent at, uh, at some level? And Jopankes knows a midfield press can do the trick, too, and he has a lot of pace up front and uh, players that can hold up the ball. And you, you saw that Bayern had counter are taking place against Stuttgart so it can always work for Bayern and I think it's not the worst strategy at all so again you know with, with Bayern being so solid at defence it's it's just a very sensible thing to do and so yeah it, assuming that Bayern Munich at this point of the season can go full throttle for 90 minutes it's a little bit naive I think
2: I'll tell you yeah. what um Another thing to bear in mind, coming into the spring, Dr. Wolfart's magic potions will have worked by then, and uh, there'll be lots of fresh legs. Usain Bolt like fresh legs in the Bayern team. And, uh, yeah, we should investigate
0: that. Fresh legs and horse placenta. <laughs> right.
2: Who knows? But he was there last night and uh, looking after Ribbery and uh, he's... He's back for the Champions League games and the, the big domestic games. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Obviously. Do you think
1: there will be a huge doping scandal with Bayern Munich at some point with Müller-Wolfer doing some shady things?
0: <laughs> I, oh. I don't think it'll ever get to the point of scandal, but he is shady as hell.
1: I I, I I, I, mean, just like in, in 10 to 15 years, maybe something will come out and then they will discuss whether like the eight consecutive championships of Bayern Munich. Oh, oh, oh no, he wasn't even there for all of them. But right. like whether well, two or three of those will be chucked off again. This will be a very funny debate. And if Schalke can finish second this season, will they then be retroactive champions like in 15 years? Right, uh, or... I, I mean, or- Probably not, but you know, would be just a funny scenario.
0: Or asterisks, you know, after asterisks after every, you know, every title year. I don't know. I I tend to, I tend to think he's he's somewhat of a snake oil salesman. Um, I've thought that forever. And Bayern fans absolutely give me the business for it all the time. It's a very, very unpopular opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> saying that, even that, even when he wasn't at the club, he was still treating everybody at the club. So it's 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 a matter of neither here nor there. It it is an interesting prop, proposition. I think, uh, Stefan, that that we might. Uh, run across in a few years. Um,
2: it's well the way it worked with Lance Armstrong. You know, he won all his uh, Tour de Frances, and it took him took them ten years to do anything about it. And uh, I'm not saying that will happen with Usain Bolt, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly, you know. Hopefully, there's a lot of good journalists still around who are who are sniffing around the story. I'm certainly not volunteering though. <laughs> Protecting yourself.
1: <laughs> I Anything see.
2: for an easy life. <laughs> like Doctor s- is innocent. <laughs> see, yeah, but that's,
1: just just imagine, you know, you uncover that um, Bayern Munich are, you know, running a huge doping scheme, you know. <laughs> As, as much as success and fame that will get you, you know, as a Bayern Munich correspondent, that would be uh, very awkward.
2: Stefan, <laughs> there's a lot of good writing, even at ESPN there's a colleague of mine called Mike Fish, you should um, I recommend you read a few of his pieces on, on Dr. Müller-Wolfart if you go to Google and uh, look for Müller-Wolfart and Mike Fish you will find a lot of good articles when he was granted exclusive access to his practice in Munich a few years ago. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of good work that's already been done on Dr. muller <laughs> <laughs> um, I
0: think I think fishes. Um, I've read I read that article. I know exactly the one you're talking about, Mark, um, and it had a a lot to do with uh, informing my opinion on, on the good doctor with the flowing hair. He's got the unicorn hair. Anyway, let's get away from him because he's and creepy. Cyrus Snape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's totally like a Severus Snape. Um, the, there's, there's one thing I want to mention about Stuttgart. They didn't do like, um, it wasn't gag impressing. pressing. It, it was a, 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 playing three at the back. Um, I'm going to side note and say it was great to see uh, Holger Badstuber playing as well as he did. Um, But they itinerantly pressed uh, pressed Bayern, and it was very disruptive um, as far as the midfield play goes from Bayern. Um, People that listen to this podcast every week – they know my hatred for Arturo Vidal and Quentin Tolisso being on the pitch together at the same time. Um, But, but it really did work uh, Stuttgart's midfield against that pairing. Um, Mark, do you, do you find them not maybe the, the best two that can be put out there?
2: we talking about Toliso and Vidal. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't gelled at all this season. Uh, Toliso's had his moments. Um, especially in the Champions League those two goals against PSG and scored the winner against Anderlecht. As well Vidal, he can scored four in a row in the Bundesliga, but that's you know maybe when they haven't started together. Um, going back to Stuttgart, uh, uh, some random points there. Their coach, another, another one of these young progressive German youngsters, Hannes Wolf. If he hadn't taken, I'm just thinking, if he hadn't taken the uh, Stuttgart job after they got relegated, he would probably be uh, Dortmund's coach now. But that's uh, that's another story. And it was good to see Holger Badstuber. Playing well and fit after all this time, he was he was he was very good up against uh, Bayern on Saturday.
0: Yeah, um, um, Stefan, from an outsider's point of view, um, what do you think of 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 that midfield pairing as well, or at least uh, as pertains to the Stuttgart match?
1: You mean Vidal and Toulouse? Well, I'm not quite sure why you have to play both. If uh, Martinez is behind them, because you have enough defensive cover, I would say. Um, so I would rather play Tolisso and Rudi, maybe uh, Rudi, of course. <laughs> 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 As Thiago is out, uh, you know. I of course don't don't know what what Heinke is thinking, and, and maybe he really. Appreciates the defensive cover over anything else. So, um, otherwise, you could also mix it up and, and bring in Thomas Müller and, and play maybe something like a number ten, number eight hybrid instead of Vidal. I think there are many, many different options Bayern Munich have to, yeah, play with with a different sort of setup in, in midfield. And uh, shock maybe should get a little bit because let's be honest. Heinke's approach more often than not is a little bit predictable So Hannes Wolf had not much of Of a problem to yeah, Prepare his team for the game As I, I think as, as far as I can see So um, Yeah I, I think there are different options But o- overall You know it's It's not the worst midfield To yeah. have
0: No no I just um you don't know because you're not tuning in every week I just feel like uh, uh, Tolisso and Vidal uh, operate in the same sort of space right so they're they're kind of a conundrum together on the pitch you, you know they're they're both trying to do the same things
1: yeah I mean, don't have the same problem when shine and Weigel play together yeah field because they're both deep lying playmakers and they are always covering the same space and yes uh, you know ever since Guardiola introduced Juergo, position at Bayern Munich it's always very interesting to see how that sort of uh, yeah positioning and alignment of Bayern players collapses over time I mean it's gotten better again under Jopankes it was atrocious at times under Carlo Ancelotti and um, yeah if you have Toliso and, and Vidal you know, standing on each other's shoes, then you have a big, big problem as Bayern Munich because usually they are all about ball retention when they're on the ball. And, uh, you know, even even what I find more impressive is how Bayern Munich usually cover the field that if there's any loose ball, that their player is usually first to pick it up. And, uh, you know, with Vidal and Tuliso maybe covering too much of the same ground This sort of uh, advantage that they usually have, just by very clever positioning, just goes away at times. Not all the time, but sometimes.
0: Right, right. Mark, your thoughts on that, or pretty solid? No, Stefan summed it up pretty well. I mean,
2: once Thiago comes back from injury in the spring, this problem will solve itself. I mean, the Bundesliga looks done and dusted anyway, so. All the emphasis will be on the Champions League and against Besiktas come mid February.
0: So, so. What everybody wants us to talk about, and so let's go ahead and get on with it. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the two one victory uh, over Bebao Bay. I'm so sorry, Stefan. I'm not really sorry. Um,
1: <laughs> well, I'm, f- I'm very very sad because now I get to cover less games and make less money because of uh, <laughs> Dortmund playing like crap in the first half.
0: Oh no! Oh yeah, I forgot how it works at ESPN. I- I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, It it was a 2-1 victory. Um, This was really, and we have all said this uh, in even referencing the earlier match, this was definitely a tale of two halves from Bayern and from Dortmund. Um, First goal in 12 minutes was a lovely, lovely uh, Jerome Boateng
1: I said you were going to say long overdue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that as well, lovely headed goal <laughs> after a rebound. Uh, Nicholas Sule uh, picked up the assist, and the the second uh, for Bayern was in the fortieth Miller uh, minute, and that was Thomas Müller with a Penenko chip over Roman Berkey's shoulder. Um, it, that was and that was like it was such a huge first half for Bayern. Um Stefan it had to feel uncomfortable watching not only how good Bayern were but how bad uh Dortmund were.
1: Yeah, if you cover Dortmund a lot, you kind of saw that coming because Dortmund are a team that is Even if if they choose a more passive approach, they uh, tend to be passive overall in in their defending, meaning um, right now Dortmund have a lot of problems of trouble just being physical, you know. I hate this sort of analysis where you just say, "Well, they have to get stuck in," but in, in Dortmund's case, they, they really actually do because, um, you know, players like Rafael Guerrero, for example, like Yamolenko or Mark Bartra, in, in in this instance, they all gave Bayern just way too much space. Um, I I, I remember Ribéry's shot, what was it fifth or sixth or seventh minute or so? He had the ball and he was running straight toward the uh, penalty area, and Mark Bartra was right in front of him, and Bartra was just backing away, backing away, backing away until Ribéry just took a sidestep and and, uh, took a shot, and uh, Bürki, of course, saved it in the end. But uh, that's exactly what I mean. Or if you look at the second goal where, um, yeah, Lewandowski just dances around Schmelzer without uh, even needing to to move him out out of the way, and, uh, yeah, Schmelzer then also completely losing his, his marker in Thomas Müller. There are just so many yeah problems for Dortmund right now and I, I think their their lack of grit or whatever you want to call it physicality or, or just more pro- proactiveness in in defending like actual defending not not from a tactical standpoint maybe um yeah that's that's a huge problem and uh, you know in my preview i addressed exactly that issue that uh, dortmund unlike bayern you know do not really accept the fight as we say in germany and uh, yeah they really had a problem because bayern picked them apart over 45 minutes and really had uh, not much trouble doing so and if it wasn't for goalkeeper Roman Bürki, uh, yeah, it would have been done and dusted at halftime really, I mean, it could have been It could have been 4-0? Four, four yeah, I mean the expected goal plot had Bayern at uh, 2 already after 12 minutes oh. which tells you a lot <laughs> Right,
0: so, so um, Mark, before I get to your first half thoughts uh, Stefan did did uh Peter Stoger's pulling uh Bartra for Dahoud in the thirty fifth minute is is that a smart sub? I mean, granted, Bartra was having a horror show, um, but was that like a needless? Was that a needless sub to you? I don't know. I no, kind of, it, I, it
1: was it was a good substitution because. Um, the The problem was Dortmund had a back five, but they did lack like, cover in the half spaces right in front of the defenders, which is why Socrates looked very good, but Toprak and Bartra did not because they were the center backs right in front of the half spaces and Bayern were you know exploiting that zone the entire first half. So what he did, he switched to uh, back four and uh, you know put more cover in, in the holding midfield and paired the hoot next to Weigl, meaning that they would have more players... In, in those areas that could qu- you know close down the space more quickly and I think you could already see when did the who come on I think in the 35th minute or so that Dortmund got a little bit more control on the game you know it was it was still very lopsided of course but uh, there were slight improvements you all only really saw them come to fruition in the second half and that also maybe had to do with the second substitution but I think that was the right move uh, Stöger realized that you know his entire approach was just way too passive I mean don't had this approach where they would just, you know, wait and see, <laughs> let's put it this way, <laughs> and you know, not proactively press Bayern Munich, but rather sit deep and I, I, I don't even want to say midfield press because it just looked like they didn't press them at all whatsoever. They were just waiting for Bayern to you to, know to run out of yeah, run, Adam. But then don't really. Then they just didn't do anything about it. So to answer your question, yeah, I think it was a sensible choice, and uh, in the end, it worked out because the Who, I think, had his best game of of his Dortmund tenure yet. So,
0: Mark, what do you what do you make of of the first half? And and to be more specific, um, Frank Ribery's play in the first half.
2: Well, Ribery had the, the freedom of Munich in the first half along with Alaba on the left-hand side. You know, he he did a lot of good work. And um, Stefan's already mentioned uh, Batra, Batra backing him off him, you know, all the way to the box where he unleashed a shot, which Berkey just about kept out. Fine. You know, not just Ribery, you know, James was impressive. Lewandowski didn't get the goal that he normally does against his former side, Muller, top finish for the second goal. Vidal headed against the bar as early as the third minute. You know, it, it, yeah, it was 2-0 at halftime. It could have easily been five or six. Dortmund were just a shadow of their former self. It was... It was it was a very strange game first half. It was, it was, you know, like a, one of these Champions League games you see in Munich quite a lot when you know Bayern run up a cricket score of five or six without even trying. Um, I think, you know, second half they they went into cruise control mode. They were just looking to go through the motions. They could have extended their lead. You know, three or it could have gone to three or four, and then they were punished on 77. Uh, Nicholas Bentner, sorry, uh, Yarmolenko, uh, <laughs> reduced the arrears, you know, it a, had uh, Ulrich a little bit uh, out of position, maybe. And and then, you know, uh, Bayern were made to pay for their missed chances, and uh, Dortmund gained some confidence, and they went for broke. and it, Quite easily could have been 2-2 at the end. The uh, Swedish substitute, Alexander Izak, could easily have scored, equalised in the final minute, but Boateng just got his body in the way and it went agonisingly past the post. Uh, And that's football. You have to finish teams off. Don't give a mug a break. Bayern should have gone up three or four easily but in the end they made it very hard work for themselves.
0: Yeah, and uh, speaking of Yarmolenko, um, probably the best chance that uh, Dortmund had in the first half. <laughs> he looked utterly shocked that he actually had the ball um, after an errant uh, Frank Ribery pass.
1: Uh, <laughs> and it no, just, he actually looked, looked, looked shocked that he had the ball on his right foot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and that, that would have been a total... Game changer, I think it it probably would have
1: deflated Bayern um, a lot. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it wouldn't have. I think at that point, had Dortmund equalized, it would have just kept Bayern more awake. Mm. Hmm. Yeah absolutely I
2: think if, are we talking about the one that Alaba cleared off the line he headed off the line from yeah, that's the one. First, first half yeah that looked like he should have scored but you know Alaba repaired his mistake and he got back to head it off the line I think at that stage Bayern were so dominant that if they had equalized, they would have gone on to score three or four at half time. Is that, that would have really given them the motivation to keep on at their game and keep up the tempo.
0: So, so, Stefan, what changed for Dortmund in the second half? Or was this um, a reaction to Bayern getting really passive?
1: Well, of, of course both. I mean, first of all you're only as good as your opponent lets you be and I think that counts for both teams in in both halves because Dortmund were so shockingly bad in the first half that it's really hard to assess how good Bayern really actually were I mean of course they were okay they were creating lots of chances and whatnot but uh, Dortmund uh, were completely atrocious and in the in the second half of course Bayern became complacent but um from what you can take out of the match, uh, the post-match quotes is that uh, Stöger must have really torn those eleven yellow shirts a new one. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the players mentioned that you know he uh, was very direct, let's say, in 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 his halftime speech. And the uh, target, as as uh, yeah, you usually have when you're on a losing end, is to win the second half and then see what you can do from there I guess Um, but Dortmund then finally showed the grit and the tenacity they should have showed from the get-go and uh, yeah it was interesting to see how Bayern became I don't know I don't want to say shy but they were backed or they 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 were very comfortable in, in conceding a lot of space to Dortmund which Bayern really shouldn't have done in this game um, but they did, and, and Dortmund, with that, gained a lot of confidence, as Mark said, in, in, in their possession game. I mean, the first half, Bayern had around 60% possession in the second half. It was exactly the other way around. And uh, what I found also shocking is that Bayern only won 30% of their challenges in the second half. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, it tells you a lot about how Dortmund... Um, yeah, became a little bit more physical and uh, won battles. Then in the second half, they certainly did not win in the first half, although, funnily enough, uh- according to ESPN stats and info Dortmund 100% of the challenges in the first half. But that also means that uh, there were like 10 million challenges where they just didn't show up for one to be even one. So, um, you know, long story short. Yes. I do think that the Dortmund improved, especially with the introduction of Andre Schöle. Now I'm not the biggest Andre Schöle fan. And I still think that uh, signing him was not the best idea, but um, unless i unlike Rafael Guerrero, who usually is a very good player, but is just completely out of form and confidence right now, he just runs at things. And even if André Schüller has a, a t- atrocious first touch and, you know, his his footballing IQ is not the highest, you know, he, he managed to pressure Bayern. And uh, you, you saw it right from the substitution, he just ran through from, from, from the sideway line. And <laughs> one second <laughs> let this pass please and, come uh, in for you yeah I, I guess so although I think that's the fire brigade and anyway <laughs> Schüler just ran right through to Ulreich to pressure the goalkeeper and, you know, well enough force the turnover and that more or less then became a little bit the uh, setting of the match that Dortmund were a little bit more on the front foot and, uh, yeah, they could take advantage of that. Shinji Kagawa, of course, once again had a very great performance, uh, you know, in his ball retention, keeping the ball and, yeah, Dortmund actually managed to build some triangles win the second balls that Bayern usually do win and uh, you know keep the pressure on Bayern and uh, I think the the equalizer was at some point only a matter of time and uh, had the game went on for let's say five or ten minutes longer I think they surely would have gotten it
0: yeah I don't disagree Um, Mark is is this um, again is this predetermined by Joep to turn it off in the second half, like we've seen over the last few matches. Um, after all, uh, as a counterpoint, there's no other games until January 19th, correct? Um, so January, so why this... 12th, yeah. Pardon?
2: Pardon? January the twelfth at
0: Leverkusen. Oh, it's twelfth. The- I'm sorry, I forgot. It's a short. It's a short winter break, uh, World Cup. Uh, so with no other matches on the immediate horizon, why the why the tempo uh, switch? Well.
2: I have to give them you know, a little bit of a break. They should have been leading the game. Shall we be conservative? They should have been leading four nil. Yeah, no one would have said anything about that. So yeah, they were, yeah, they were not going for the motions, but they were comfortable at two nil. And when Dortmund scored, you know, it came out of the blue really, and uh, and it made it unnecessarily tough. But I mean, I have to, you know, go easy on Bayern here. Yeah, Lewandowski missed a couple of chances you know yeah, they should have been leading by more than two goals so yeah there was a drop in tempo there wasn't the same intensity. Rest assured if there was a, if this was a better Dortmund side, I think Bayern would have stayed at their game for longer but I think they you know I thought they had. I think Bayern thought that they had Dortmund in their pocket and they could just go through the motions, take it easy. Thanks very much. We're in the hats. See you next year. Let's enjoy the Christmas trees and all the lovely lighting and have a nice Christmas party.
0: <laughs> some laser, yeah, it's not, it's, some it's laser like- light show and glue vine and...
1: Yeah, but Marcus is right. It's not like Dortmund created, you know, 100% sitter, bang-on chances before the equalizer. I mean, bearing that one Yamulenko chance in the first half. I mean, yes, they had a lot of possession and, and control, but they could not really translate that into scoring opportunities like Bayern could in the first half. So... Yes it, it was a very well composed goal in the end but uh, I would agree with that notion that uh, you know it came a little bit out of the blue at least you know in, in Bayern's Byron's minds
2: Yeah all the all the goal scorers from last season's 3-2 win yeah, weren't on the pitch for various reasons obviously Dembélé's lying on the sofa in Barcelona Royce is injured still and Aubameyang missed the game through injury which is a big blow on on the eve of the game so you know Dortmund were missing a lot of firepower for this big game in Munich
0: um, Stefan who stood out for you performance wise um, for Baybay
1: As I already said, I thought uh, Shinji Kagawa had a very good game. I would also throw in uh, Mahmoud Dahoud into the mix as a player who who looked very comfortable. Julian Weigl as soon as Dortmund had control Uh, because Weigl is not the sort of player that really looks good when it's about uh, defending your goal. Christian Pulisic struggled a lot because Dortmund thought it was a good idea to send him uh, a couple of long balls against uh, the likes of Zule and Boateng but uh, in the second half when he had his burst of pace that also looked very good and I, I gotta say Jeremy Toyan, Dortmund's right back who struggled a lot under Peter Bosz uh, also looking a little bit more confident and I think did rather well against Ribéry when he was moved from the right wing back spot to the uh, to the back four, to the real right back spot. Uh, I think there's also another tweak that had Dortmund to contain the Alaba uh duet a little bit better. So um, overall, those are the guys I think did a, uh, you know, played well. Yeah, Molenko had two chances, scored one, but overall I wasn't really impressed by him at all. So right, yeah. those
0: are really the only, especially in his case, really the only times that. Um,
1: Oh, sorry, Saw him I completely forgot to mention burkey who, of course, was yeah. the best player on the field for though.
0: Without whom, it would be a cricket
2: score, if you know about cricket, uh, Susie and stuff. Oh, Mark. yeah, it
0: would... it's just longer baseball, right? Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Mark, uh, who stood uh, who stood out for you on the stood who stood out for you on the Bayern side? Well, I have to uh,
2: give special mentions to Boateng, not just because of his his goal, but his, his clearance at the end, which saved yeah, another goal for Dortmund from Isaac. Yeah, that was an important block right at the death, and he's seemed to be growing in confidence. Obviously, it helps that he's getting regular games and he's staying fit, He he's suffered a lot with injuries. I think he only started... Ten Bundesliga games last season under Carlo Ancelotti, so yeah, he'll be looking to push on, and he'll be a, he's re, already looking forward to the World Cup alongside Mats Hummels for Germany in Russia. So special mention to Boateng. Obviously, it was good to see Müller. That was a quality finish from uh, Thomas Müller to double the lead. 5 minutes before half time he looks to be gaining in confidence under his old uh, mentor Jurgen Hans.
0: Yeah, for sure. A, a, a lot of guys have gotten their uh, respective grooves back, I think mm-hmm. under Hankis, uh, rather than the dumpster fire that was Carlo Ancelotti sorry i don't pull any punches everybody knows i hated the whole season and a half so i i'm okay with that uh, uh moving on uh, Stefan. any any final thoughts about the match or have we kind of gone through everything uh that you saw i have a,
2: I have a question for Stefan. i was thinking what do you think Dortmund would have performed with more fire and intensity under Peter Bosch than they did with Stürger, Or is it? Is that a, a too early to ask?
1: Um, well, they would have pressed Bayern higher up the field. Um, the problem is, even under Bosch, they had the same problems that uh, you know when it actually come, came for going into a tackle, then uh, yeah, there wasn't any fire or schuspe at all. However, I would I would say that uh, Dortmund would have approached the game differently under Bosch than under Stöger. Because Stöger, of course, had this passive approach. And uh, not seeing Dortmund press at all was, I guess, a novelty from the last <laughs> decade or so, um, so that definitely makes a difference. Of course, it's really hard to say whether this will change then come next year because Peter Sugar, of course, will get a little bit more time to work with his players, and I think uh, Dortmund won't be so passive as they were against Bayern Munich the next time they face. So at least I hope for them.
0: <laughs> right, 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 Stefan. Uh, uh, so. Uh, what do you see in the Rückrunde for for Dortmund? How, how How is the rest of this season going to play out for you guys?
1: Well, tough to say. I uh, do wonder if they are going to sign Kanji from um, FC Basel because Dortmund do need more quality, individual quality and definitely more pace at the centre-back spot if they can do that they should look a little bit better of course they have Marco Reus coming back at some point Mario Götze, to me was their best player this season he will return and uh, you know there are just a couple of players that will come back from injury you never know who, who the other guys are that will pick up injuries but in the meantime Overall, I do think that uh, Dortmund will leak less goals and uh, with that, they will automatically get more points. I think uh, there's little to argue about Dortmund's firepower up front. They scored 39 goals in the Hinrunde in the Bundesliga, which is two more than Bayern did. So, um, you know, in the attacking department, Dortmund do or are able to afford to score a couple of goals less and and still come ahead as winners. Um, So overall, I would predict the Dortmunds, you know, with Peter Stöger at the helm, who do I think is a very good... Tactician and a very pragmatic coach, and just what Dortmund need right now after Bosch, that they uh, will maybe be a bit more boring, but all the more successful. So I see them claiming second place in the end, catching Schalke, who are you know two points clear of Dortmund. I don't think will be a big trouble if uh, Dortmund really get their horsepowers on the on the street. So um, yeah, it, it will be interesting. Dortmund, of course, uh, have to keep have to have to remain on their toes in the Bundesliga. It's not like the likes of Gladbach or Leverkusen or, or Leipzig, you know, they are uh, mugs. You know, if you see what how they are developing this this uh, season so far, they are very good teams and they do not have to worry about European football dying Leipzig, of course. So, um, yeah, but I would predict Dortmund to, to finish on second place and I'm really intrigued to see what will happen in the Europa League, I, of course, started the hashtag road to Lyon <laughs> about the uh, first fixture against, or the second fixture against Apoel Nicosia because it was very clear that Dortmund were headed to the Europa League so um, yeah But, but if Dortmund do manage to really get a solid defense and a lot of things have to change for that and I don't think it's going to be immediately fixed after the winter pause but maybe you know come March of or you know late February then they can maybe advance very far in the Europa League so my, my prediction is Dortmund finish second place, 28 points behind Bayern and... Uh,
0: <laughs> 28? <laughs> I,
1: I, I don't know, um, but it doesn't really matter how many points in the end, so Bayern still have it in the back. And um, yeah, go to the Europa League final. I don't know if they will win it, but that's my prediction. <laughs>
0: I don't. I feel like they can get there, and and uh, Stoger has a, the reputation of solidifying a defense. And and uh, Stefan, I do agree with you that there is a center back problem at Dortmund, and um, perhaps is is that is that Bosch's fault though. So so Bosch, as far as I'm aware, from what I've seen. Um he needs those quick talented center backs to get his vision through. Was was maybe he was he fired prematurely, do you think? Or
1: No, because the team Made it very clear to Hans Joachim Watzke, the players um, basically told Watzke that they do not have confidence in pressing as high. So, you know, of course you will be exposed in, at the defense and you will have to have very quick center backs to make up for that. But the, the underlying issue really was that. That, um, you know, Aubermeier and, and other attackers up front didn't really, uh, you know, press as high and as much and as intense as Peter Bosch would have liked to, you know, translate his idea into success. It worked at the start of the season, but as uh, more games came in and Dortmund, you know, fed their legs a little bit more, they did, excuse me, not uh, press as, uh, yeah, they should have done to really you know suffocate our opponents and uh, with that Dortmund losing confidence in the coach's idea and uh, then confidence overall uh, I think his uh, sacking was inevitable in the end so um, yeah Dortmund right now if they want to play this high octane full throttle pressing style a la Bosch or Klopp or whatever you want to call it then they just need to have an overhaul in the squad because they just do not have the players that are ready to do that and uh, they certainly do not have the uh, center backs as already mentioned to, to back that up or the defenders in general so um, yeah of course Peter Bosch in in my view is a very good coach who has good ideas Um, his criticisms of course or my criticism towards him would be that uh, he tried to force through an idea that just wouldn't work at Dortmund and his in-game adjustments were not so great Peter Stöger definitely a more pragmatic coach and his in-game adjustments at least as far as I can see are much better than Bosch's so um, yeah I, I think that Dortmund will, uh, you know, be more positive. But of course, you can't just say, "Well, it's all the fault of Peter Bosch that Dortmund had such a torrid run." I think there's a lot of uh, blame to put on the likes of Michael Zorc and uh, maybe even Watzke for putting a squad together that does not really, uh, yeah, comply or you know agree with the ideas that they had, and uh, with the ideas of a coach they appointed.
0: Um, uh, Mark, what do you see for uh, for Bayern Munich in the Hinrunde in the Rookrunde in, in Solugum
2: <laughs> well I imagine they're looking forward to a, a few days in Qatar uh, from January the 2nd onwards until the 7th I believe so, you know there was a, a lot of unhappy players in China and Singapore you know when Bayern lost 5 out of 6 in pre-season there'll be a there'll be a totally different atmosphere a more positive atmosphere going into the second half of the season that's for sure heinke's has um, got the got his team together they know what they have to do they're looking for the treble we'll see how that goes
1: it, it's not going to go
2: It could be possible if they get Neuer back and Thiago and Robin, all these key players. Never say never. Paris against uh, Real Madrid. Of course, one of those will go out. Chelsea are playing Barcelona. The draw is already opening up. Bayern just need to take advantage of uh, Besiktas. and uh, I'm still. I'm already thinking of
1: Bayern against Manchester City in the last yeah, few. which will happen in the semi-final, and uh, as irony will have it, they will lose against Pep Guardiola in the <laughs> semi-final of all games. I, Maybe
2: we can come again. We will talk again in April, Stefan. We can <laughs> we can have
0: another. Pot. <laughs> I'll definitely have you back, both back on if, if that comes to pass. Um, and and you guys, you guys, I don't know if you pay attention. You you know, I totally stand for. Uh, Pep Guardiola I think he's an absolute genius and I went so far as to say that uh, I would have liked to have seen him this next round um, and then I thought about it and then I went that's the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life uh, my reason behind it is because everybody will come back after the break fit but with but for Thiago um, and, and maybe I, maybe Neuer as and well, and maybe Neuer as well. But all uh, right, I have full confidence in. I mean, it's definitely not the same team. However, he's a good dude. Um, it, mm. But Thiago is the linchpin that is absolutely necessary, I think, to beat uh, a club like Manchester City. And then I've really been watching their matches or going back and watching matches, and god damn, they look great. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really, you know, it, it's really hard to argue how they're definitely the favorites uh, right now for Champions League.
2: Absolutely, they're one of the favorites, but they, Guardiola's matches as city probably going to have the same problem that... The Catalan had a fine. By the time the Champions League business end comes around in March, April, May, you know, the the injuries will start totting up at Manchester City. It's gonna be interesting to see if he adds any new players. Obviously the money is there to strengthen that squad, so Maybe Guardiola learned from the mistakes that he made at Bayern during the, you know, those three semi-final exits against Spanish sides. We remember it well.
1: <laughs> well, the the thing is, in, in, at, at least in the in the semi-final against Atletico, if I'm not mistaken, Bayern were the towering side, and maybe Guardiola will just have that little bit of luck that was necessary to to go through to the final this time. I can't. I can't really see that he is that unlucky as Bayern were against Atletico over two legs, yet again. <laughs> yeah. I just don't see it.
0: <laughs> so, Mark um, and Stefan, actually, would you guys agree that the winner of this third round Pokal match is more than likely hoisting the the trophy, the cup?
2: Definitely strong favourites. Um, you look at the rest of the draw. You, Bayern wouldn't really want to play in Schalke, but all the other sides, you know, you'd fancy them to beat, you know, Leverkusen. You wouldn't want to play, maybe Leverkusen. Um, Bayern struggled to beat them in the cup, even under Guardiola. I remember. Bayern also
1: struggled against Frankfurt away yeah. to Frankfurt
2: yeah away to Frankfurt that'll be a good game um, yeah, Mainz are still in there and Paderborn of course that'll be an interesting game <laughs> um, really? yeah <laughs> they're strong favourites of course Bayern you know they're already beaten Leipzig in the competition so they've knocked out
0: you know the two, two best of the top sides yeah yeah so they're
2: looking good. Looking good for at least a domestic double.
0: Oh, typical, typical Bayern.
1: <laughs> Step on you hate me right now. Right? Yeah. I'm, just, I, I, I'm just beyond caring. So.
0: <laughs> um, <clears throat> gentlemen, I think we can wrap this up here. Do you agree? Do you have any? Absolutely, please. I've, yep. got a, I've got a baby to feed. Yes, I have a mother to feed. <laughs>
1: so. Got a dog to walk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So, um, Mark, uh, where can we find you online?
2: Online, I'm uh, the ESPN FC Bayern München correspondent, and I'm also on Twitter. If you want to. Um, read some odd ramblings from an Englishman living in Germany. Uh, my tag, is that the right word? Is level Lowdown.
0: Right on. And uh, uh, Stefan?
1: Yeah, first of all, props to uh, Mark for that uh, Bentner joke yesterday. <laughs> that really cracked me up. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I'm of, I'm of course the black and yellow pendant to Mark on ESPN FC you can find my writings there too under the uh, Borussia Dortmund section of course um, my twitter handle is just like my name which is hard to spell and I'm not going to spell it out for you now so um, yeah there you go thanks for having me Susie it was a blast as always and it's always good to chat to you too Mark <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah for all the best. Sh- Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and before we go, uh, I am at the Susie Shop, T-H-E-S-U-S-I-E-S-C-H-A-A-F. Um, I'm not really writing right now. I'm just doing this podcasting thing, some editing here and there. Um, but when I do write, I now write for uh, Mia Sundroth.com, uh, not .da, because my German is crap. Anyway, (laughs) uh, we're going to get back to you with some special episodes and maybe some off topic stuff over the winter pause. Um, But I would like to sincerely wish every single one of our listeners and anybody new hopping in very, very, very happy holiday season. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, celebrate well, love your family and your friends, and have a prosperous new year. Um, thank you for thank you for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you soon. Ciao. Gewonnen, ja, Wir haben Kampf gewonnen, den Drohne kochen, der Wir haben von Wir haben die Kampf
1: gewonnen, ist Drohne kommen.